Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Be Well with Dr. Stockwell. I'm Diana Klein, your podcast host, and today we have the honor of speaking with Dr. Nusat Chalisa. She is an endocrinologist and specifically an expert on how the endocrine system affects diabetes and how we can prevent diabetes, how we can treat diabetes. And then she also talks to us about how our endocrine system changes throughout our lives as women. And then to top it all off, she actually told us about a test that can help predict menopause. So for all of that and a bunch of other interesting information, please listen up to Dr. Nusat Chalisa. Sure. Thank you, Diane, for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Chalisa, if you would, just tell us just a little bit about yourself. Why did you choose endocrinology and kind of the path that you took to get to the really amazing position that you're in today? Sure. So endocrinology always fascinated me. I like the challenging nature of endocrinology, like how different glands in your body work and how it's connected to your brains, different effects of various hormones in your body, how it changes with age. Uh, it's just very different from the rest of the system. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is so different. And I know myself, I am not as um, up to speed knowledge wise about the endocrine system as I know I should be. And I'm sure our Mm -hmm. listeners aren't either. Can you just give us a high level um, sixth grade overview, if you will, of what the endocrine system does and how it impacts our lives? Of course. So endocrine system is basically composed of various glands in your body. And these glands produce special chemicals, what we call hormones. And hormones are essential for our day-to-day survival. They control like various specialized functions in your body like growth, metabolism, sleep, fertility, sexual dysfunctions, stress. So sometimes there is like excess or deficiency of these hormones uh, due to a problem in the gland making them. So basically, endocrinologists are doctors who deal with diagnosis and management of these hormone-related disorders. Like uh, some of the examples would be, of course, diabetes. We talked about that. Menopause, thyroid disorders, adrenal disorders, pituitary, osteoporosis. Those are all sort of kind of managed by the endocrinologists. Gotcha. Gotcha. One that I hear a lot of, um, several of my girlfriends have either hypo or hyperthyroid. Issues. That's correct. Right. And so, and the thyroid is kind of a mysterious little gland to me, but it has such yes. an impact of yes. weight, weight gain and hair loss. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? It seems like a lot of women are suffering from those types sure, of issues. Sure, of course. Thyroid is, uh, is directly kind of ma- controls your metabolism in the body. So when you have underactive or overactive thyroid, it actually affects almost every organ system in your body. So it's really important to control. It's a, it's a very simple gland. It just makes this one hormone, thyroid hormone, and it, but it's really, really important that the levels of thyroid hormone are uh, maintained at a good level. And if your levels are high, you have what we call hyperthyroidism. And if it's low, we call hypothyroidism, which is much more common um, overall in the population and especially in women. And, uh, you know, so this becomes even more important when you are pregnant because the levels have to be maintained really strictly in a normal range um, uh, or it would result in like it causes IQ problems in the baby and several other problems. So, so wow. yeah, it's a very, very like it, it's, it's a tiny gland, but it does a lot of, uh, you know, work in your body. Right. No doubt. No doubt. And it's interesting. You said that most women suffer from hypothyroidism, just, just me anecdotally. That's Mm -hmm. the majority of my friends. That's the issue they have. And they have such a hard time losing weight and, um, 
and that that the weight issue typically sure. for them yes. was was the one thing that was like oh and mm-hmm. tired being tired and the weight issue yes. what are what are some other signs and symptoms of both hypothyroidism as well as hyperthyroidism that we can look out for Sure. So like the easy way to understand is like, you know, since thyroid is directly linked with metabolism, when you have hyper or overactive thyroid, everything sort of speeds up. So like you would um, sometimes people will lose weight, you will have what we call palpitations, like your heart starts pounding and you will be sweaty and you'll be anxious and jittery. You can have diarrhea. Uh, So those kind of things. But like when you have underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism, that's then everything kind of slows down. So you feel like really tired and, you know, lethargic, you gain weight and then you have like you you feel cold. You know, a lot of people have cold intolerance with it. Uh, You're kind of you have concentrating difficulty. Your brain kind of slows down. Um, Sometimes, you know, if it's severe in severe cases, you, you can stop having your periods. Um, so, you know, everything kind of slows down with hypothyroidism. Interesting. Gosh, it's a shame you can't have a hyperthyroid problem to get the weight loss taken no. <laughs> without yes. everything else that you described. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Interesting. And it seems like, uh, especially for hypothyroidism, um, to, to get that, get more of those hormones in place, there's a lot of supplements that, and medications that these women yes. have to take. Um, is there synthetic um, supplementation or non-synthetic? Like what is the best? So basically we replace it with, so when, when you have hypothyroidism, your body is for some reason is not making enough thyroid hormone. And so you have, it has to be supplemented from outside. So you take the T4, which is actual hormone, you take T4 replacement. Um, and, and normally, you know, you just take the replacement, we check your levels, your levels have to be monitored every so many months, like sometimes four to six, you know, usually we monitor it either every four months, or every six months. Uh, and then uh, we kind of adjust your levels uh, to what's needed. Um, there are several different things that can, va- your levels can vary throughout the year. Uh, and so that's the reason why it has to be, uh, be checked and monitored. And then uh, it has to be adjusted based on what your uh, blood levels are. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. And I know the folks I know that are dealing with this, as soon as they get it all dialed in, life is great. Sure. Yes, of course. So it's amazing. It's so nice to know that there is a fix for that. That's fantastic. What about hyperthyroid? How do you guys treat? How is that treated? And hyperthyroidism is uh, relatively less common than hypothyroidism. And again, you know, everything kind of speeds up, but there are medications that you can use for that too. Uh, which sort of blocks. So in hyperthyroidism, thyroid starts making too much. Uh, and this, this could be uh, due to a couple of different reasons, but then you have medications that can block that. So most commonly we use medications, but sometimes these medications are not well tolerated and uh, or some people develop side effects from it. And so the, there are some other options too. We can use radioactive iodine treatment where we sort of give a small dose of radioactive iodine and kind of Uh, kill that portion of the thyroid that's making too much. Um, And then uh, we can control it by that way. And then, I mean, in some severe cases, we may have to do surgery, but that's usually not done these days, given that we have all these other options. Sure, sure. Wow. And that surgery, of course, would would include complete removal of the thyroid. Yes, 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So we've talked a lot about um, hypo, especially with women and a little bit about, about hyper as well. Um, when it comes to the entire endocrine system, does it operate differently for women and men? What, what are the, the differences? And then what are the, some of the things that are the same? Yeah, since it's a, a lot to do with the hormones, uh, in, in terms of certain hormones, it's uh, different. Obviously, male reproductive hormones, female reproductive hormones are very much part of it. So thyroid or adrenal or pituitary, those are some of the glands which operate kind of similarly in men and women. But, uh, you know, again, pituitary is like your master gland in your body that controls, it actually controls six different hormones, including your reproductive hormones. So in female, it sort of controls your menstrual cycle, whereas in male and infertility, whereas in males, it controls, obviously, testosterone production, uh, and again, fertility in, in males. So there are some differences, obviously, based off that, uh, but uh, most of the other hormones are sort of uh, simil function similarly. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So when it comes to, to we, we ladies and our, our natural life cycle of puberty, adolescence, um, childbearing age, and then on the decline of all that, as we all, as mm -hmm. we get older and we hit premenopausal, sure. menopausal and postmenopausal, mm -hmm. can you kind of describe what our endocrine system is doing at each of those stages? So early on, obviously, as you uh, in, in women, as you approach puberty, you know, your menstrual cycle starts So kind of those hormones play a role when you uh, approach puberty. And at some point you have what we call menarche or the starting of the menstrual cycle. And then you the starting of the menstrual cycle to the ending of the menstrual cycle is what your reproductive age is. Uh, over time, then obviously there'll be a time when your menstrual cycle will be like you'll have a cycle every 30 days. And over time, after about, uh, you know, when you reach 30, your um, sort of cycle starts going downhill from that age onwards. Uh, and then you're still kind of having regular periods and stuff. You, you continue to have regular periods until like about a few years before your menopause. And that kind of varies from uh, from person to person. Sometimes it can, that period perimenopause can last for about four to five years. For some women, it can be uh, more than that. But typically, if menopause occurs before 40 years of age, then we call it premature menopause because we are not expecting that to happen at that age. Uh, typical age of menopause is about 46 to 51. That's where most women will uh, fall into that category and we'll have menopause somewhere around that, around that time. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So, and, and your endocrine system is doing, doing what, especially during menopause, like what is, is it slowing kind of slowing things down or how does that play in? So yeah, your, your levels of most of your hormones decrease with aging. Um, there are uh, some hormones which kind of maintain the levels, but most of the hormones decline and that's kind of physiological. That's normal. So again, like in women, your estrogen levels kind of decline uh, up to a point that when you hit menopause, the levels go uh, quite low and that's when you stop having your periods. But there is a lot of anxiety associated uh, with perimenopause, especially in women regarding the onset of menopause. Uh, I always get questioned like, how do we know? How is it like whether our symptoms, because people get like, 
hot flashes. Uh, they tend to gain weight around that time. And they don't know, like, are they really approaching menopause? Is it going to happen within that one year? When is it going to happen? And uh, typically, as I said, it can last for about four to five years. So uh, normally you will start kind of missing one or two periods per year and it will keep, you will progressively keep skipping more and more and it eventually stops. And then you have a year when you will not have a period at all. Uh, and there are some tests that can use and actually currently there's a new test that has come out that can predict menopause within 12 months. So um, we are making some progress in that area to, to find out. And why we want to know is because, um, you know, there are so many things like after close to menopause, like when women are in pre-menopausal stage, um, you have you have estrogen. Estrogen kind of is protective for your heart and it is protective for your bones. But when you go into menopause, those levels decline. And that is why most women will have, uh, it actually puts women to an increased risk of heart disease and, you know, bone loss. And so it's kind of nice to know when you're approaching that period so you can start taking precautions. Gotcha. Interesting. So this test, I this is the first I've heard of it. It sounds amazing. Predict it within 12 months. Yes. Um, how how early? Well, what it, how does someone, um, I guess, go to their treating physician, whether it be an OBGYN or an endocrinologist like yourself, you know, if they go in for a regular or just a well check with their general practitioner, what kind of questions do they need to ask or really what kind of test do they need to ask for? So basic, normally we don't do any testing as such to check for menopause because the symptoms are quite obvious. So if you fit in like uh, into that age group and you have all the symptoms that you're having and then you're missing your period, most of the time a testing is not required. But if there is a reason why you want to know, like if you're having an early menopause or if you're not sure, if you're undergoing, uh, you're planning to undergo like some kind of surgery, um, and if you want to know, then you can discuss it with the most, most likely, I think an endocrinologist would be the best person. So you would discuss what the issue is. And then if needed, like currently the test that we are checking is, is called FSH, uh, which is a hormone that's produced in the pituitary and we can check that levels and the levels sort of are expected to go up as you approach menopause. Um, but currently, yeah, you don't, you can't predict where, you know, at a certain level where exactly you are uh, or when exactly you're going to get menopause. Once you are menopausal, then we can tell, like if your levels are really high, we can tell, okay, you are menopausal. But this other test called anti-malarian hormone is going to actually just came out and it's going to predict it in a much, uh, you know, at a, give us a much closer window. Interesting. That is fascinating. That's such that's such reassuring information to know because I've heard of other stories where women wind up having um, hysterectomies and so forth when sure. perhaps maybe they weren't necessary. And now Absolutely. It, it sounds like these tests could, could, could avoid a lot of Definitely. That. It'd be very helpful. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Um, as far as what's involved in the test, a blood test, I take it? It's a simple blood test. Yes. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Are, are you guys able to, as, as physicians, are you able to get the results back rather quickly or does it take a while? It should be back within a few days. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. That's great news. Great news. Um, 
as far as uh, keeping as as we age, as we ladies age, what is what are some tips and tricks that you have to help us keep our endocrine system as healthy as possible? Um, anything that we really should be watching in our diet, any any supplements that we need to make sure we're taking if we are not getting certain things in our diet, or just just tips and tricks that you have have get garnered over the years of practicing medicine. So yeah, I would. I usually I emphasize a lot on uh, going for routine checkups, and obviously get your yearly annual checkups. Uh, you know, uh, eating a balanced, very balanced diet, staying physically active is like really important, uh, especially for women around menopause, where tend to, where they tend to gain weight easily, um, and then get appropriate screening for various cancers, breast cancer, osteoporosis. Uh, since your you, your bone density starts declining after menopause, it's important to um, uh, take calcium and vitamin D at that point in time. Uh, in terms of other supplements, normally like a my vitamin D, a multivitamin and a calcium and vitamin D is good enough. Um, women, you can, there's a lot of other supplements that are available and can be taken. They're not necessary, but with supplements, I also uh, kind of, uh, ask people to be careful in what form they're taking because sometimes um, if you're taking supplement in the form of like a herbal tea or something that's that works pretty good uh, if you take a natural supplement that works pretty good but if you take supplements in the form of pills sometimes you have to be careful because there are patients who will um, have like like fatigue fatigue is a very non-specific symptom you you can really have fatigue from anything so if you kind of think okay maybe since i have fatigue my my thyroid is off or my adrenal is off and you start taking the supplement sometimes sometimes it becomes uh, actually harmful because one these pills can sometimes have fillers that can damage your liver or kidneys or uh, if you have like a mild thyroid or adrenal problem and on top of that you take a sub wrong supplement, then it can actually uh, be more uh, damaging for you. So you just have to be very wow. careful with those. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. Very good. Very good to keep in mind for sure. For sure. Um, so Dr. Chalisa, uh, kind of changing sure. directions here just a sure. little bit, mm -hmm. um, a, a little bit away from, from menopause and, and aging uh, kind of talking about diabetes and talking about your research, your extensive research into diabetes and, and sure. how the endocrine system plays into diabetes. If if mm -hmm. any of our listeners go to your LinkedIn page, they're going to see some amazing articles that you've yes. written and just incredible wealth of knowledge. Um, can you? We all we all have heard of diabetes, and we all know it's it's a real it's a plague, unfortunately, of a disease for sure. Um, something that sometimes is avoidable for some and, and sometimes is not for others. Sure. Do you mind kind of elaborating a little bit on how the endocrine system plays into diabetes, not just for women, but for everybody? So um, diabetes obviously, you know, is uh, uh, almost uh, kind of, uh, it's also kind of becoming like a pandemic, uh, you know, all over the world, the numbers are keep going up uh, and uh, it's kind of equally common in men and women. Uh, and, and the way it's related, so again, uh, since diabetes occurs because you're because of a, a problem with insulin. So basically your body has a gland called pancreas and the pancreas, uh, it makes uh, a hormone called insulin. And you get, there are two different kinds of diabetes. There are the type one diabetes, which is sort of more uh, of an autoimmune mediated diabetes and occurs in children. 
uh, or at least uh, you know starts in children is uh, is a is a a problem where your pancreas doesn't make enough insulin at some point there are cells called autoantibodies this is like your body's own cells which goes and destroys your pancreas and so the it starts stops making insulin at all and so these kids have to go on insulin as soon as they're diagnosed so that's like the type 1 diabetes the type 2 diabetes is slightly different type 2 diabetes basically uh, your body is making insulin but the insulin that you're making is not good quality so it's not doing its job so normally what insulin does is normally when you eat your glucose that you take in your diet it goes into your circulation and from the circulation it's uh, it's taken to the tissues and for the glucose to enter into your cells to be used as energy you need insulin so insulin is like a key that opens that door for for the glucose to enter but when you have type 2 diabetes your insulin is not good quality so it's not it doesn't do that job as a result of which the glucose kind of stays outside the cells into your blood and that's how you get like high blood glucose and long term if your if your uh, glucose continues to stay high in your blood vessels then it starts causing vessel damage and then that leads to various complications of diabetes wow interesting that's fascinating i have never heard of type 1 diabetes being described or type 2 diabetes excuse sure. me being described yeah. as just poor quality insulin that it yes. makes sense um i always in my layperson's brain mm -hmm. thought okay their pancreas quick it's a deficiency yeah right but it's actually just the quality fascinating okay okay interesting mm -hmm. um as far as diabetes goes and and the and its interaction with the pancreas which is part of the endocrine system like what um, aside from a healthy diet it seems like that's the advice that i get is oh just eat healthy and don't eat a lot of sugar <laughs> that's what we hear um, to help prevent diabetes is it sounds yeah. like it's much more than that um could you elaborate as far as you know what sure. we can do to avoid diabetes all through life of course because diabetes can be genetic but it's uh, it's a, it's a actually a combination of gene genetic and environmental factors that are responsible for diabetes so obviously um obesity and weight gain has a lot to do with it it significantly increases your risk of developing diabetes uh and so in terms of management obviously um nowadays if you you know watch even if it's genetic and even if you have a family history if you would watch your diet and if you would watch your weight it is preventable or even if you are not able to prevent it you can delay diabetes by as much as 10 years just by watching your diet and maintaining your weight wow. so and and sometimes you know you go you go into your blood glucose levels are high enough where it's not diabetes but it's like what we used to call borderline diabetes we call it pre diabetes now which means it's not diabetes but it's about kind of not normal to it's kind of in between and that's like a your window of opportunity when we diagnose people with pre diabetes then at that stage if you bring about changes in your lifestyle and your diet you can actually keep yourself in that range or even reverse you can even go back and and get back to like normal glucose at that stage uh, or you can delay from going into diabetic stage for a long long time um so that's where like your routine uh, routine health maintenance seeing your physician uh, your annual visits come into play because if you do that every year then you would uh you would find that you you would know if you're in pre-diabetic stage and you would start uh, taking care of yourself early on interesting yeah 
Definitely, definitely. Now, for someone, let's say that they have gone past the pre-diabetic phase and they're mm-hmm. a full-blown type 2 diabetic, but yet they're, they change their diet, they, they exercise more, is there a way to go back? Is there a way to undo the damage and become no longer a diabetic after you've been fully diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic? Yes, absolutely. So diabetes, we said it cannot be cured, but it can definitely be controlled to a point where your sugars are completely normal. Uh, and as long as your glucose is in normal range, you whether you have to do diet or an exercise, whether you have to add some medications, even if you use medications with the help of the medications, if you're able to bring your numbers down to almost normal levels, then your body is as good as any normal person. Then you won't, you won't develop the complications. So uh, it is really important to keep those glucose levels down and, uh, you know, sometimes when you have full-blown diabetes, you have to use diet and uh, obviously physical activity helps. And on top of that, you there is uh, uh, so many options in terms of what medications are available today uh, compared to what we had 10, 15 years back. Uh, there is many, many medications that not only help in controlling your glucose numbers, but uh, there are medications that help you protect your kidneys and protect your heart. Um, and so they can be used, uh, one or combination of these medications can be used along with diet and exercise to keep it in good shape. Amazing. Awesome. That's great. That's great news. And one, one thing I've always wondered, the high glucose levels in the blood, I'm sure is why people who are type two diabetes, diabetics eventually, unfortunately lose their sight or start having, I think neuropathy is the correct term, um, in their That's correct. And, and toes and, and ultimately, unfortunately leading to some amputations in some cases is, is that because solely because there's an advanced or a higher level of glucose in the blood or are there other reasons for that? What causes, what element of diabetes causes that to yes. happen? So, so what happens is when you have persistently high glucose in your circulation, uh, in your, your blood vessels eventually get, starts getting damaged. And so you can have two different kinds. Your, you can have macrovascular damage and microvascular damage. So what that means is macrovascular is your larger blood vessels. For example, blood vessels going to your heart and, and vessels going to your brain. So when these blood vessels get damaged, then you get your arteries kind of narrow in a similar way of what happens when you have a heart attack. And uh, because of decreased blood flow to these organs, then you end up having heart attack or you end up having a stroke. Uh, And that's why diabetics are at a higher risk of having a heart attack and stroke. Similarly, when the when the uh, blood vessels that are supplying uh, like the smaller blood vessels, they are also blocked in a similar fashion. And when these are blocked, then your arteries supplying to your nerves uh, get damaged causing what we call neuropathy, or if your arteries supplying to the eyes are damaged, then you can, you know, people can become blind from diabetes. Or if your arteries supplying to your feet are damaged, then you can develop gangrene and people end up getting amputation because of that. Oh, gosh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Wow. Oh, so much great information. So much great information for not only ladies, but for the gentlemen in our lives as well. Thank you. That's really great. Um, before I let you go, I am absolutely fascinated by the Keysat Diabetes Organization. Do you mind telling us about that? It's what you founded. It sounds like it is just very near and dear to your heart. Um, yes. Could you tell us about it? 
So uh, Kisa Diabetes, uh, I was formed uh, in 2013 after my father passed away. I had formed it in the memory of my father. He passed away uh, from complications of diabetes. And uh, the organ- after he passed away, um, it, I was very close to him. And it was uh, uh, very hard for me to see uh, my father you know, passing away. He was about to get amputation and he even passed away even before he could get it. Uh, and it was a it was very hard for me to kind of overcome that feeling that me being a diabetes specialist I couldn't do much about it and so I think uh, after a year I um, sort of um, founded this organization with the mission of so I was thinking what should I do that I can sort of overcome that feeling and maybe maybe something good to prevent this from happening in others so um that's when I, I decided to form this organization and with the mission of kind of creating awareness and preventing diabetes and its complications. Uh, and our, our goal is to do early screening and provide education um, so we can uh, prevent this from happening. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, well, I'm so I'm I'm sorry about your father. Oh, that had to be tough. Yeah. That had to be tough. And what an amazing. It was, yeah. What an amazing thing to do in his memory. I'm sure he's extremely, extremely proud. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, one last thing. Um, sure. if, for our listeners, if they are in the Chicago area or if they want mm-hmm. to travel to come and be seen by you and sure. receive all this amazing information um, personalized to them, how can they find you? Do you have a website and or any kind of social media handles that we can share? Yes, of course. Uh, my information can be found on my uh, my Kisad Diabetes Organization website. It is called kisaddiabetes.org. I'm also uh, in, in my practice. I w- I'm working uh, in Shanahan, Illinois, which is a suburb in Chicago. Uh, and I'm affiliated with Morris Hospital. So I can be found in the Morris Hospital uh, website too. Uh, and I would also like to um, uh, announce uh, about my book here, where which is about to uh, um, be published in fall uh, of this year. Um, and this book uh, is actually a comprehensive um, a guide on management of diabetes. It will include everything one needs to know uh, about diabetes, understanding diabetes to, to medications, to diet, everything. Um, so that would be a useful tool in patients who are diabetes or if you are uh, if you are taking care of a loved one who has diabetes or even if you're pre-diabetes. That's amazing. And what is the title of your book? Yeah, it's called it'll be called uh, named as Diabetes Beyond Numbers. Awesome. Diabetes Beyond Numbers. Okay. And will it be sold uh, via your personal website or via Amazon? Or it will be or- sold uh, via Amazon. Amazon. Excellent. Okay. Well, I will definitely order that book. That sounds fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of Great. our listeners will as well. Sure. Um, so awesome. Dr. Dr. Nusat Chalisa, thank you so much for your time. Really thank appreciate you. My it. pleasure. This is such great information and we wish you good health and uh, especially during this interesting time that we found ourselves in. Please stay safe and stay healthy and thank you again for your time. Sure. Thank you. Stay safe. <laughs>